Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless to Talk, our TTRPG interview show where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, GM Nathan, and I got the deep and true pleasure of interviewing the, well, uh, magnificent Candace the Magnificent. Candace is a powerhouse of creativity in and out of the TTRPG space. As a player, they are known for their colorful and memorable characters, as well as the colorful and memorable costumes she often wears to represent them. But they do it all, including writing, sensitivity reading, game running, serving as an Ennies Award judge, and much more. I have had the pleasure of sharing the table with them on several occasions and am always absolutely blown away by their excellence and their ability to remain present at the table, setting themselves and other players up for success. In today's interview, we talk about how she leaves room for growth in their characters, knowing your needs, the gift of connection, taking accountability, and doing emotional labor for those who can't, among, as always, a great many other things. Please be sure to check the show description for links to Candace's work, shows, and products we talk about, and content warnings, and please enjoy the episode. See you next time. Hello, Candice. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I, as previously discussed before the episode, I am excellent, Candice. I am excellent. <laughs> and and the reason why I'm excellent is, is not anything beyond, because I don't need anything beyond the presence of you, the magnificent presence of you here on this podcast today. No. Welcome to Reckless to Talk. Hello. <laughs> Una reverse card. Five minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Classic tabletop role-playing game uh, scene deflection of compliments <laughs> and praise and enthusiasms. Like, well, but you, though. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. It's us holding mirrors at each other mm-hmm. and fighting over it. Um, Shouting but and pointing. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, for all the people, all the people at home who somehow foolishly are not intimately familiar with you and or every single bit of work that you've ever done. Could you please (laughs) tell the audience at home who you are, your pronouns, where they might know you from, all that good stuff. Absolutely. My name is Candace. You also may know me on the internet as at that Candace girl or Candace Magnificent. Uh, my pronouns are they, she, uh, and I am on a lot of things. Um, you can find me uh, over at Crossroads Games, uh, on KDM Fears Chaotic Wholesome channel, over at Valor Studios, 12 Sided Stories. Um, there's a bunch and there's a bunch more coming up too. Live from the Apocalypse. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. You're everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is almost. It's almost easier to list the channels that you are not on with any That's degree true. of frequency than ones that you are on with frequency because it's a lot. Because it's a lot, Candice. You're everywhere because you're a high in demand talent as well. You should be. You should be. Everywhere. That's very flattering. But very true. Aha! Uh-huh. This see. This is my show where I get to just be nice aggressively to friends and 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 content creators in the space. Be like, no, no, no! You can't compliment me. You're the guest, and so you just have to sit here and take me telling you how cool and good you are. That's so true. There. 
in your face. If I were at your house and I, you were like, let me just like, I'm going to be a good guest. I'm going to be a good host. You're my guest. Right. I'm going to go get you some coffee. And I was like, no, no, Nathan, I'll get you coffee. That would be insulting. Right. So I will, I will behave myself and I will just take the compliments. You're goddamn right. <laughs> and Man. you'll like it, Candace. I sure will. <laughs> <laughs> I will have a good experience taking positive <laughs> feedback or whatever. <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> well, hey, Candace, you know, you are a, a renaissance person. You're all over the place. You are, you're telling all kinds of stories, all kinds of places. You're playing ukulele, doing, on, on Twitch, doing, doing parody songs. You're creating, you're writing, you're sensitivity reading. You're doing all kinds of great stuff. You're Ennies judging-ing. But Candace, we can't start there. We can't start <laughs> with this this beautiful tapestry of work and creativity that you have. No, no, Candace. <laughs> we must start at the beginning, at the focus of when all of this creative nerdery was fully unleashed unto the world. Do you have a clear kind of picture of when you got kind of introduced to tabletop role-playing games or just kind of like where you begun the path of 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 doing nerdy hobbies on the internet. <laughs> so nerdy hobbies in general have been a lifelong thing. I mm -hmm. studied to be a librarian. Um, I did not finish my degree because the economy was like, no. And I was like, all right, <laughs> um, <laughs> never mind. Sure. But I, I have like a library in my house, like a mini library. I've been collecting toys my whole life. Um, so nerdy pastimes and hobbies have been a consistent in my life. Uh, my mom is also a nerd. My parents are Trekkies. My biological father uh, bought me um, an NES in 1989, 1990. <laughs> my stepdad has been playing Doom since it became a, a computer game. Um, so a very, <laughs> very nerdy family. Um, yep. Both my brothers play TTRPGs. My middle brother is a DM. He writes homebrew stuff. So like, I come from an extremely nerdy family. Oh yeah. I think my journey to being online starts with my journey into TTRPGs, honestly. Mm -hmm. By day, I am a writer. That's starting to change a little bit, but um, for a long time, I was a writer at an advertising agency, copywriter. I kind of worked my way up because, again, I was going to be a librarian, so I had to completely change careers. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of just worked my way up from there, and there was a guy sitting behind me while I was working that had all these cool toys all over his desk, and I was <laughs> yep. like got to talk to you about your pop vinyl. And he was like, yeah, totally. What's every, up? <laughs> every office has one of those people. Oh yeah. And every, every office version of those people really would love, I think someone to talk to them about all their cool shit on their desk. Like, please ask me about my right. trash desk, right? A hundred percent. He had really good ones on his desk. Like he had some choice ones. He had some lost boys ones. I was <laughs> like, all right, you and I can vibe homie. <laughs> So I started kind of talking to him and we would talk about movies and video games and, you know, dork stuff, uh, Star Wars. And one day he came to me and was like, hey, do you play TTRPGs? And I was like, uh, what, like Dungeons and Dragons? He's like, yeah. I was like, no, <laughs> I've I've been interested in Vampire the Masquerade because uh, like I saw it in a Hot Topic when I was like nine. Yep. And I was like, this must be mine. And my mom was like, hey, absolutely was not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, you were a child. I will burn these books if you bring them into my house. I am not an anti-book person, but I am for this kind of thing. Please proceed with caution. Uh, it's very expensive. Um, so I was like, you know, no one's really ever invited me. And I, I remember signing up at my local gaming store and being like, if anybody needs a player and like nobody ever getting back to me. So I just never had anyone to play with. And I did have more than a passing interest. I was just like, you can't do this by yourself. Didn't know about solo TTRPGs. 
Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. he was like, well, this guy up in uh, account management, right? This uh, ad ad exec, he is trying to start a Dungeons and Dragons game. And I actually play uh, a lot. He completely misrepresented himself, Carl. Um, he was <laughs> like, yeah, I play sometimes. And um, I play a different game. Uh, but it's it's cool. Uh, I'm going to help Will do this game. And I was like, yeah, cool. He's like, yeah, we need people. Do you? And there was a girl sat next to me, Cassandra. Do you guys want to play? I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. So it was me, Cassandra, and this other girl, Maui. And we all went up. Uh, we were playing in a conference room at our ad agency after hours. Awesome. It was really fancy because it was like the fancy executive one. Ooh. So it was like everybody Ooh, had fancy yeah, suits and stuff. And there was Hell like a yes. glass tabletop. It was very sexy. Ooh. And so we get into it. And there's a girl there that's like, there's no beer. I can't play this game if there's no beer. This is just like so nerdy. It's only fun when it's played ironically. And all of us are like, we just ordered like seven boxes of Domino's pizza. So you should probably leave, right? Like you should just go because we're going to get really nerdy up in this bitch. Yep. So the first session was really good. It was really fun. Like Will was a new GM. I was new to all of it, but I was instantly hooked. Like they were like, who do you want to be? And I was like, I don't know. And it was like that Dungeons and Dragons starter kit where you can choose like a fighter, a rogue. So I was like, give me that ranger i want to have a bow and like i shot somebody in the fucking face and i was like yeah that goblin is no more i got him i i did that yeah and i was like okay well when are we playing again because that was great so eventually that game fell apart like after three episodes or so will uh ended up having finding out his wife was pregnant and he was like i can't run a game and be a dad yeah we gotta figure this out um so carl was like well i play savage worlds i'll run a game it's called east texas university it's really fun it's like buffy meets scooby-doo and uh and i was like <laughs> oh i'm already downstairs i'm already waiting for you <laughs> buffy meets scooby-doo please sorry i already started playing i didn't know it but like, i have started playing this game say less okay say less boo right mm-hmm. like i'm already mm-hmm. in so i made a really stupid character because i had been <laughs> uh guessing everybody's secrets a friend of mine her husband ran like a mini game for us and like i guessed the bbeg and like session he was so frustrated with me and i was like i'm sorry so i made a really stupid character so that i wouldn't have that problem again yeah which honestly was really fun to play a dumb uh-huh. character it's really exciting it. yeah it's really good it was a fantastic game and i was just hooked like i was hooked we used to play every other week it was not enough i got obsessive about it covid came we had to take our game offline we had been yep. playing at that point we had ended that campaign and started a, a savage pathfinder campaign before savage pathfinder mm-hmm. was official Again, misrepresented himself. Carl's like the biggest deal ever. Like the creator of Savage Worlds like loves gaming with Carl. Like it's like, Carl, you're my guy. Like you're my top three GMs for Savage Worlds. And I'm just like, Carl, like he does like all the book layouts and stuff. Like he's a big ass deal. So that's what I call him now. You went straight to like the master's PhD program. I didn't realize. Like learning how to play TTRPGs. Yeah. I want to say like January 2021. Carl was like, so Savage Pathfinder is a thing, right? Like during the pandemic, we found out that they were working on that. And he was like, I'm not going to run that online because I made all these components and stuff. I think you should take the reins. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I've been playing for like five years. I can run a game, I think. So I ran Monster Hunters Club, which is kind of like a Stranger Things game Mm -hmm. set in the 80s. And um, I had the best time. It was so good. Campaign ran for about two years. Halfway through, Carl was like, okay, well, you know, this Savage Pathfinder thing is real now. They want to do um, an actual play. They want me to GM. I would like for you to be at my table. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do? And he's like, I don't know, just like, make sure you've got like a, if you have like a ring light or something to light yourself well, which I already had because we were playing online during the pandemic and during 2020, I should say, because still in a pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, I, I I went to that first session and it was outstanding. It was so much fun playing with everybody. I actually got to play with Shane Hensley, uh, oh, the cool. creator of Savage Worlds. It was really great. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really fun. 
after that, Pinnacle really liked me because they came back and were like, hey, do you want to be in something else we're doing? And I was like, sure. So then they did um, an East Texas University one shot because they had a study abroad campaign where like you can go to different countries in your college experience. Amazing. And then they had a third thing for Flash Gordon. I was in that. And that's when I met Cheyenne. Cheyenne Wright is... Um, He's a GM, but he's also a Hugo award-winning artist. Like he's amazing. He's done like like 90% of the artwork for Savage Worlds. So he was my GM and he was doing something with Valor Studios in November and was like, are you interested in auditioning for this Deadlands game? And I was like, sure. Awesome. <laughs> and they were like, you just need a green screen. I was like, what? What? <laughs> and so I had some money and I bought like the whole light kit green screen thing. And my partner loves tech. So he was like, I'm going to do a deep dive into figuring out how to make you look your fucking best. And I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and I played this cowboy named Jem Freeman who had a beautiful trans storyline where like they presented uh, as a guy and one player at the table knew them from their past life and recognized that they were no longer a woman. There was like a lot of this kind of very kind of slow burn of the audience finding out that my yeah. character was trans and it was beautiful and really well done. Cheyenne gave a lot of respect to it. It was wonderful. And I, it felt awesome being able to like just bring myself yes. in a very real way uh, into it. From there, I was just like, well, I got to be in stuff now, I guess. I'm having a really good time. <laughs> I guess this is what I do now. I think this is what I do now. Um, and that, that, I mean, I have not stopped. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when was that? Like, what was the, the, what, like, how long ago was that? Obviously, it was during the pandemic, but yeah. when did it, like, officially kind of kick off? So my first series was was September 2001. 2021. Yes. And not then. yeah. Yeah, sorry, not 2001. 2021. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Candace, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> You're know like you like I had no idea. You were elderly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or you've been playing, you've been playing streamed actual play since you were, like, Nine years old? Ooh, <laughs> yes, so professionally. Cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I think the first streamed game I GM'd was in April 2022. It's kind of like the rest is history sort of thing. So I've shared the table with you a few times. I've watched you play a lot and hey, you're fantabulous as always. Thank you. <laughs> um, did you do any theater, any that kind of stuff beforehand? Like, was that part of your kind of like nerdery pressure cooker that you stewed in before kind of emerging as as the TTRPG player you are now? One thousand uh, <laughs> percent. In elementary school, uh, I was in plays from second grade through sixth grade. Then junior high, I was in plays all three years of junior high. I was in plays. I did plays 10th and 11th grade. And then I moved to Florida. And by the time I moved here, uh, they had already chosen all the people for the senior play. So I couldn't <laughs> be in that. So I pivoted to debate and I did oral interp, uh, which is when you perform like a book or a spoken word piece or whatever. Oh, yeah. There's like a poetry part and like a prose part. I've always really loved performance. I went to a theater camp that was awful when I was a kid, but ended up kind of challenging me in a way that I needed to be challenged for later on in life. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I was like, this is hell. And my parents were like, oh, well, we paid so much money for you to go to this fucking <laughs> camp. You're going to finish it. Um, and I was like, I feel you. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to cry all the time. It's going to be great. When I got to college, there was a rule that you couldn't try out for any of the lead roles. You could only try out for like background person one if you weren't a theater major. And my mm. parents were like, we have a lot of people in my mom's side of the family that are very artistic and some of to varying degrees of success. Some people never get successful. Some people are successful and they're, they've published a book, right? So my mom's like, there's just no guarantees in this and you're smart. So since you're smart, there's guarantees, right? You've been in the gifted program. I know that you can make a stable life for yourself and do this as a hobby. 
And I was like, okay, no job really allows you uh, the time to really do this the way you want to do it. Uh, But that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. So that was kind of how it happened. I went to college. I I studied. I was a double major in English and women's studies, minor in African New World studies. I had no opportunities for for acting until I think my junior year. Uh, there was a um, a committee that I was the the co chair of, like Take Back the Night and other like woman led initiatives on campus. Mm-hmm. I sing as well, so like lots of karaoke. Mm-hmm. So then for years it was like performance by way of karaoke, and we're right. gonna go to karaoke all the time. And yeah. a close friend of mine ran karaoke, so I was like there four nights a week, and. That was probably not the best idea, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, so, like, it's really been nice to get back to this because uh, I do have a background in performance and theater and all that stuff. When I was in either 10th or 11th grade, I can't remember this point, I think 10th grade, um, I played Fest Day in 12th night. And I think that was that was the time that, like, shit got real. Like, before it was, like, <laughs> yeah. fun and games, right? Like, I'm yeah. back up one in Little Shop of Horrors or the narrator in Joseph's Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Like, good roles, but, like, you're a kid. But when I was Fest Day, like, it was serious. Like, I had, like, a serious thaumaturgist that was there that was like, you must feel the peace. Like, it was really intense. <laughs> There was something that was really clean and beautiful and just I just got so obsessed with with acting then and then I moved. It was rough. But like now that I'm doing this, like there's a lot of similarities to performance with TTRPGs, but I feel like it's almost like theater leveled up. In theater, you don't have to worry about coming back to center, right? You don't have to worry about being relatable in theater. You're really there to deliver the fuck out of those lines and to get whatever emotion out of somebody that, that the play was designed to invoke. Yeah. With TTRPG, only I'm in charge of that, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. go in with material. We have to make those decisions ahead of time and then continue to make those decisions and follow through with those decisions while we're in the game, which as someone who loves to think and loves to puzzle <laughs> is mm-hmm. like really exciting. Yeah. A lot of times like I'm listening to people's conversations and I'm taking in a scene and I'm watching. I have to think through like, well, what's next for my character yeah. um, in a way that theater doesn't really give you in theater you're like anticipating what's going to happen next rather than reacting yeah that totally makes sense and definitely tracks with my experience of being at the table with you and consuming things that you have been in so for you the act of performing whether it is ttrpg stuff whether it is uh twitch streaming whether it is four nights of karaoke a week whatever it may be (laughs) or just small games around a table What took that from being, ah, this is just a fun thing I do as a little kid to something that repeatedly got its claws in you and kept like dragging you back to like, hey, do you remember how cool this was? Do you remember how good this feels to do this thing? And now you do it again for like 14 different channels and also have your own stream and to do all this (laughs) other stuff. I think it's an element of the way that I feel when I'm doing it. Yeah. A big part of it is definitely like knowing that I have the opportunity to entertain, right? And to Mm -hmm. like people and make them smile. Like that's really exciting. Like I love that. It's one of the things that I really tried to love about traditional advertising. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to hopefully make somebody smile with my ad, which like in a world where you can pay to skip ads is hits hits a little different these days. (laughs) But like with karaoke, for example, a friend of mine was like, oh my God, you're so good. Are you a trained singer? And I was like, I'm not really that good. And I'm not a trained singer. <laughs> um, I am not a trained much of anything. I, I, teach, I teach myself a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that people think that I'm a good singer, even though there are people who are technically better, right, who can hit higher notes or who can right. hold mm-hmm. their notes a little sh- more strongly or whatever. I think it's because, like, I feel it. Yeah. It gives me an opportunity to feel whatever it is that's coming out of my mouth. 
having those like emotions and having that range like helps me dig deep even outside of the table, even outside yeah. of the performance, mm-hmm. because I'm exploring the emotional aspect of it while delivering a performance that's hopefully going to make someone feel a way. If I'm singing a sad song, I try to intone what that means inside of my brain and inside of my my yeah. physical body and try to put that into my performance so that it carries across to someone. Having that connection with people is something that's really beautiful. Totally. That connection with another person, regardless of where they might be or where I might be and whether or not we're in the same place. We're together in the same place just for a minute, even if it's five minutes during a song. Stories are something that I used to, I mean, I still lose myself in, whether they're mine or someone else's, right? Like I love stories. I love that stories are something that connects us on such like a visceral and human level. Storytelling is one of the first markers of a civilization, right? The ability to record your histories and come up with, you know, other worlds and things like that. So to me, it's like so kind of esoteric. Yeah especially in a world that's very populated by technology, it's hard to communicate. It's hard to have a meeting of the minds and to understand someone. But I feel like through storytelling and through things like giving that emotion when you when you have a performance, that's a way to really connect with someone in a way that is kind of more profound than just the niceties we kind of spit at each other and the small talk that we have in passing. And I feel like you can really get to know someone through their performance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you can really like understand someone. So I think that's really what what keeps me coming back is just like the storytelling and kind of the human connection. One of the strengths that I have noticed of you when you're at a table is how present and active you are and how often you kind of jump in or are ready to jump in, like you said, of like anticipating, okay, what does this mean for my character? And what does this mean for what's the story kind of arc? And how do I add to it? So you mentioned trying to embody that emotion or trying to get yourself in that space of here's what I'm trying to communicate at an emotional level or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's kind of one thing to do that in a song or in one kind of scene or in whatever. In tabletop, you're playing for hours. Yeah. Do you have to kind of actively put yourself back into that headspace? Is that something you're always doing? Or is that something that is kind of just like passively happening that you've kind of trained yourself to be always kind of looking for and and always soaking your brain in so that you're ready for when the next opportunity comes? Sometimes it is easy for me to stay in character. There are some characters that I'll that I'll choose to 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 make that lean more heavily on who I am as a real person. Sure. If I'm playing a character that's very close to where I'm at, I don't have to think as hard yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. about what's happening. I give myself breaks. I do housekeeping while I'm on the computer. Mm-hmm. So I'll like I'll like check my voice acting roster sheet of things that I need to audition for while I'm listening, right? I'll check my email. I'll, you know, make a little list of groceries, but like I'm still present because I'm listening and I'm taking everything in. And that can really help me get sharp again when it's time for me to jump in and it's time for me to like take up the scene. It helps me Mm -hmm. kind of like snap back in because I'm not just like kind of waiting, especially because like I never like feeling like I'm waiting. I feel like if you are at a table and you feel like you're waiting to speak, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you look like you're waiting to speak. You're not really paying attention to the scene, right? Mm -hmm. You're not being present. You're not listening. You're not taking in like what's happening because you're just waiting for your opportunity to get in there. Totally. I have a very hard time with long silences. (laughs) If there's someone who's just like not really saying much and no one's really saying anything and it's just quiet. I'm like, what can I say so that we are not doing this? (laughs) So this Um, ends immediately. Yep. So I've had to kind of like give myself 
a little bit of grace in doing that and remind myself that like silence is okay, especially if it's pre-recorded. Like you're not on any fucking timeline, like just yeah. chill. Doing little tasks that don't take my attention completely away keep me from doing that um, and just allowing people to have their time because I feel like the more people feel rushed or the more they feel like someone's about to jump in, for some players, like it's not as easy for everybody to bring themselves to the table and just fucking, you know, nail it and get in there. Some people need a little bit of time and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that knowing your boundaries and knowing your limits makes you a much better performer. Yep. Giving myself those little check-ins to kind of like decompress and then really taking a break when someone's like, oh, we're going to take a break. I walk away from my my area and I sit on my sofa for a little while and I talk to my cat. You know what I mean? Like, don't look at my phone. I, yes, don't do any, no. I, I get a little snack. I do yep. anything that is not doing the thing. You got to get away from it so that you can be like, I miss that. I'm going to go back in. <laughs> and then you put your little hat back on. And you're like, I'm ready. <laughs> right. Trying to find that headspace is not always easy. I love making characters that are extremely difficult uh, for me to play that are very outside of who I am so that I actually have to think about what they're going to do. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times it's so easy to metagame and it's so easy to just like show up as yourself. Like there are some players in this community and in this industry that like they're not really actors so much as they are personalities and they've got a great personality. And when they're at a table, they're playing pirate version of Susan. Totally. Animal version of Susan. Paladin version of Susan, right? But it's always Susan. Susan's always there doing what they want to do, right? But it's just who they are, but with a pirate hat on. And that's valid. Some people are very entertaining with that, and that's all you need, right? Right. (laughs) But like some people are like, I'm not Susan. I'm Artemis. (laughs) You're going to dress me as Artemis, and I'm going to be Artemis today, and you're going to be whoever you are, and we're going to find out a lot more about each other, right, in this game. Full full method actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, you will refer to me as Mr. President, etc. Yeah. Yes. I think what makes characters feel real is giving them boundaries, right? Like, people have boundaries. If you're shy, you're not just going to walk into the middle of a mall and be like, hey, here I am, right? So your character shouldn't do that either. So I'm not a particularly shy person. It depends on what it is. Sometimes I'm very shy and it's embarrassing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But for the most part, I am not a very shy person. So if I make a shy person, I can't do what Candace would do. I got to do what that person's doing. Yes. Over time, I've been able to kind of hone those skills. And it's funny because I kind of started to hone those skills in my home games, right? Like when I was playing at work and Mm -hmm. eventually we kind of took it offline and started playing, you know, at at Carl's house instead. Um, So I started kind of honing those skills then. Like I I play a bard named Whimsy Thistledown, as you know, and she's in my home game. Uh, They're a very spicy, horny bard. (laughs) When we were starting, I would bring my ukulele to the game with me because I was like, Whimsy has a little lute that they strum. So maybe I should practice strumming the lute while I'm in character. And like the other players were cool about it, right? They were like, we love it. This is great. Absolutely. You know, it's very immersive. But at the (laughs) same time, like, I know it's extra, right? (laughs) So now that I've gotten here to this point in my career, when I go to my home game, I find myself like not bringing the loot because like I already know that like I'm going to go in and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be whimsy. And other people kind of are just like, it's Saturday and I'm ready to play. My guy gets drunk and falls over a bar stool. And I'm like, I'm in the town square, right? I can't like. I'm here for the seven boxes of Domino's pizza and to have a yes. nice time with my friends and to roll dice and kill goblins. And that is That's good it. and virtuous and not a problem. Yes. But I'm also not breaking my ukulele. I've had to walk it back a little bit since starting <laughs> to do this semi-professionally. A lot of people um, probably notice that I have a lot of looks for my characters. <laughs> my looks are also a way that I help keep myself in that headspace. Because if, if I look up at the picture of myself in the Zoom box and it's not just me right there, it's like, somebody else i'm like oh that's right i have a british accent right like (laughs) 
For those audio-only listeners, Candace, not actively, but most times when they are found on stream, is often in truly some of the top-tier get-ups in all of <laughs> streaming TTRPGs. There is makeup, there's ensembles, there are accessories, uh, and it is always glorious. And also wonderful and intimidating to be at the tables like, ah, I wore a t-shirt. And yes, my character wore a t-shirt. And so it technically is right. But damn, Candace is so cool. <laughs> so I had a burlesque troupe for three or four years. We're called the Brass Knuckle Bombshells. We had a really great time in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Amazing. I was Coco DeVille. Um, I had this whole persona. I did all these awesome dances. It was an art form for me, especially because I'm kind of a thicker person. And there were a bunch of skinny people doing it. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. We're doing curves now. We're doing a little gay like burlesque situation, a little pansexual burlesque. <laughs> One of the things that I just absolutely loved was the challenge of having to like make costumes. Cause like at the yeah. time I, I, it was at a time in my life where I, I was working three jobs. I had very little money. I was paying a bunch of bills. Um, it was not easy, yeah. but the challenge kind of kept me going in mm -hmm. a big way. What you see now is just like the result of this person who used to be very poor and needed to like buy fabric by the yard to cover all of their corsets so it looked like they had different corsets every <laughs> yeah. week. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. And like now I make things out of paper. I made a crown out of a gift wrap box, some gold paint, uh, some watercolor paper and cotton balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> so done. Boom. There we, yeah, have we had it. a crown. Check. Yeah. So that's the person I think that I am. Uh, my mom is like a big crafter. Like my whole life, I've, I've never not dressed up for Halloween because my mom would oh just like God. make me awesome costumes and stuff. Amazing. I owe her a lot of my craftiness, uh, my crafting capabilities. It might not hold up in, you know, IRL. You're standing next to me. You're like, Candace. I can see all the snowflakes on the inside of your fucking. <laughs> Is thing. that cotton? Are those cotton balls? <laughs> those are obviously cotton balls, Candace. Yes, I understand. They're falling off. Could you not? You're looking at them and they can tell you're being critical. And that's yeah, why exactly. Off it's my wilting under the pressure. Thank you very much. Please. But online, it looks spectacular. And that's all I need. Yeah, it, it needs to look good for one three hour block. That's and, it. And that's it. And then it can all fall apart and I'll fix it before next time. Don't worry about it. It'll be good. No big deal. That's still very much who I am. And it's nice to be able to like kind of reclaim that because mm -hmm. for a long time I had no outlet. Like when my burlesque troupe ended and things kind of fell apart, like I didn't really have another way of having an outlet for that. So it's really, really fun uh, that I get to play with that now in TTRPGs. And it's, it's even better that I'm becoming known for it, honestly. Like it's very charming when people are like, I was wondering what you were going to wear. I'm always like, was it a treat? <laughs> Yay. Um, <laughs> yes, always. Especially because again, like not everybody is chill, right? Not everybody... Like some people take it as a slight, like, oh, you're trying to outdo people or whatever. Like, it's really not that at all. It's just that this, you know, today I was like, how can I be my best? And yep, this is what I did, right? Like, <laughs> and it's a, it's a thing that I like to do, and that is it. It's that's a all. thing that I enjoy, and yeah, that's all. Please, that's it. Please, that's all. <laughs> these are the times where I wish that these episodes were 16 hours, and also <laughs> we're not necessarily focused on TTRPG stuff. So I'd be like, "Well, tell me all about your top five themed burlesque dances." And like, oh yeah, that's easy. <laughs> all right, if you have them off the top of your head, I will take them. I do. Uh, so bring it. My number one has got to be. Uh, there was a night we did a movie theme because I used to have like themed events. Yep. Brass Uncle Bombshells go to the movies. Love it. The flyer was like a little mystery science theater 3000 situation. It was really cute. Perfection. Uh, that I designed. Yeah. Our MC called out because he had strep throat and he couldn't announce. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm announcing, right? This mm -hmm. is my troupe. I booked the venue. I'm doing all this work. Instead of doing two dances, because usually we do a set of dances with all four girls. You know, each girl does one dance. Mm -hmm. Then there's an intermission where there's like a magician or something that I would book. 
then four more sets, one for each girl, and then a band at the end to close out the night. I was like, well, obviously, I need to be the announcer. So I scrapped one of my dances. Everybody had a dance that had something to do with a movie and sure. like a soundtrack. So mine was uh, Foxy Cleopatra from Goldmember. <laughs> uh, I did work it out by Beyonce. And I started like outside of the bar. I had the DJ put the music on like really loud. <laughs> so I started outside the bar and people like followed me in as I was like dancing through and stuff. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Another one that was really great, I did uh, Camel Walk by Southern Culture on the Skids, and it was like a little <laughs> cowboy outfit. So I had like a little tassely get up underneath my like skirt and had this cool skirt with like zippers on the sides. Ooh. I did a photo shoot as Batman. That one was amazing. It was like all body paint. <laughs> oh, sick. Yeah, I've, yes. I've had very good moments. Those are my top three. Yeah. I've had very good times, though. That's why I wanted to ask is like, I because I know it would be good. There's no way there's no <laughs> there's no scenario in which you deliver a disappointing answer to that question. <laughs> and it's like, well, I have to know because half the point that I do reckless of talks is I want to just ask cool people that I know cool shit about them. And that counts as, <laughs> as cool shit to ask about. Awesome. <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned as you were kind of talking about, you know, about what you enjoy about performance, what you enjoy about uh, TTRBGs, about all that kind of stuff, aside from audience connection and kind of self-expression, is the storytelling aspect. And mm -hmm. obviously you're an English major. You mentioned you have a library. You have, you know, all yes. kinds of stuff and tell, but you also have publicly told a lot of stories yeah. just by volume, <laughs> a, a, a large quantity of them. So what are the kinds of stories that you like telling? Genre wise, I'm like a pretty open person, like when it comes to storytelling or even like music as a storytelling device, like I'm very open. If you look at my Spotify, there's a ridiculous collection of music on there from like every genre. I enjoy Westerns. I didn't think I was going to, but I do. The dynamic kind of way that they're shot and written, very exciting. I really love horror. I love horror, especially when it's paired with comedy, because I feel like they go hand in hand. They shake yep. so well. Love high fantasy. Fantasy everything all the time is my bag. But when it comes to like something kind of on a deeper level, I love stories of found families. I think that the theme really for my storytelling is growth. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love a growth arc for my players when I am GMing or for my characters when I am playing a role. And like you can't always get that, right? Sometimes you've got a one shot. It's one and done. You might have a little bit of character growth in there or you might end up just being as terrible as you started the game, yep. right? Whatever. Maybe worse even. Who knows? <laughs> Sometimes worse. To me, having that character arc, especially when it's not necessarily redemptive. Right. Yeah. When it's not about this person mm -hmm. overcoming this publicly and everybody being like, look at you. Yay. You're flying. You're doing yeah. it. Right. When it's like you start with a character that feels broken, like Darren. Right. Darren is a perfect example of that. You start with a character who has a very overinflated ego, false sense of confidence, false sense of security in his place in the world. Right. Thinks whoa. everything's fine. He's above Whoa, all. whoa, whoa. False sense? <laughs> whoa. OK. Well, I, we'll have to talk after the episode about <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I did not in in my portrayal of Darren, a zombie apocalypse CEO, did not construe the character properly because he was obviously properly egoed and properly all these other things. Listen, Darren probably has the best business card out of anyone in his conference room. Oh, okay, uh, uh, aggressively kind of guy. to the point where it's too much. Yes, <laughs> correct. So, like, you take this character and you put them in the situation where he's like meeting people he would never even look at on the street, right? <laughs> Having to save people's lives has probably only ever met one person that is even slightly like them before, right? Or never has met someone that's like this person before. 
would ordinarily be confused, but there's a bigger issue that's confusing him. So he doesn't have time to think about how confusing (laughs) this person might be. When you see the growth that Darren experiences, right? And like the recognition of this is who I used to be. But now I'm realizing that there's a lot of discomfort that goes with who that person was. Because when I meet new people, they immediately feel away. And it never occurred to me that people would feel away because I've been in my bubble for so long that it didn't occur to me that that's something that you know people would be critical of. And when you get to the end of Outbreak and who Darren is by the time that like he goes through this entire process and all of this loss and this pain and this horror, there's a softness that's there that's probably always been there. But it's been able to rise to the top because there's nothing really fettering it and holding it to the bottom anymore. That kind of growth to me is so compelling because I think it's real, right? Everybody has that. Like there's some not very good parts of people that we've seen since the pandemic, since 2016, right? Some ugliness (laughs) that perhaps, you know, we would have rather allowed to continue being, you know, yeah, my grandma's a little racist. It's fine, right? right? Like (laughs) we don't talk about it. Every family has a little, you know, somebody in their family, they're like, ah, you know, they're just a little extreme. But now they're like QAnon and you're like, oh, buddy, ah, you know, like, so like all of those like little bits and pieces that like people kind of found coming out and these little like kind of foibles and and flaws that were, you know, instead of being overcome, they're just doubled down on now. Yeah. That's the fastest way to stagnate. And when you stagnate, nothing good can grow, right? Nothing new can come of that. No, Nothing exciting can really happen to you. You're just kind of stuck in this place of wherever it is that you're at and being mad that you're there instead of being able to see, here's all these other ways you could stop being this way, right? <laughs> you have a choice. You can be happy. You know, do what makes you happy. Do what lifts your spirits, right? So I love growth as a mechanic in both games, movies, television shows. And I think when there's a character that doesn't experience growth, it's very obvious. Yeah. If you take Lord of the Rings, right? The relationship between Frodo and Samwise at the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings to the end of the first Lord of the Rings, right? Sam's like, yo, I'm your ride or die, bro. Yeah. And Frodo's like, God damn, I've been here all along, (laughs) right? And then they get to the end and Sam's like, you remember, I'm your ride or die. (laughs) And they're like in Mordor and it's like, "Ah," right? It's beautiful. (laughs) Like they've come so far. Yeah. That's what makes you give a fuck. That's what gets me in games, especially, is the opportunity to to tell a story arc. And like that's the thing, too, about TTRPGs that just levels them up so much for me abundantly. Because a growth arc in a movie or a show, it's something that one writer or a team of writers has come up with. Yeah. You're getting what they thought was the best thing. But when you're live, um, even if you're pre-recording, when you are in the moment and you are trying to figure out what to do with your character and there's something you want to do, the entire table can buy in. The GM can buy in and they can usher you along Mm -hmm. this really beautiful path and you can choose what you want to do with it. You can say, "Mm, no, that's not really what I was thinking. You can leave it there or you can be like, this is my moment. Mm hmm. We're held back by things in real life that prevent us from ascending to our next level, so to speak. The same thing is true in TTRPGs. You're playing people, yeah. right? It doesn't matter if they're half bear or they're, you know, an elf or whatever <laughs> manner of creature, right? right? They're warforged, right? It doesn't matter. Like, they still have a reality that they're existing within. Being a good GM or being a good player is finding a way for them to rise above the challenges that they're facing. Yeah. And I just feel like there's like no way that that's not that that's not inspiring. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just always inspiring, especially if there's a found family. If there's a found family, just like (laughs) sign me up. That's just (laughs) that is my jam. Yeah. (laughs) When growth is the name of the game, Mm -hmm. 
Do you walk in with a list of flaws or growth opportunities with a character, with a situation, with an NPC, with kind of whatever? Is that something you try to consciously build as part of the kind of prep? Or is that something you try to put forth the vibe and then discover as you play? Again, knowing it could also be a good, a healthy combination of both. I'm going to preface this by saying shout out to Savage Worlds. Um, (laughs) So I love Savage Worlds. It's honestly my favorite game system Mm -hmm. to play. Um, I just love their mechanics and I love the way you build your character. And I think because I started really getting serious about TTRPGs with Savage Worlds, my approach is very similar. So in Savage Worlds, regardless of the dice and all that stuff, right, you've got skills that are pretty standard. You can add skills as you see fit. There's a limit to the number of skills that are available. It's not like D&D where they're like, here's a whole list of skills and you might be proficient in some. You can choose certain skills that you have and certain skills you don't have. One of the major markers of Savage Worlds, uh, Kids on Bikes kind of borrows a little bit from this, uh, are edges and hindrances, right? Edges are special powers that you have. Hindrances Mm -hmm. are things that are not so great. And because you get bennies for playing to your character, right? For RP, if you are bloodthirsty and you threaten to, like, shoot somebody because they stepped on your new sneakers, right? Like, (laughs) that's a benny. Um, So, like, there's, like, a very real, you should RP built into their game system that I very much love. So now when I make characters, like I I kind of do, Mm -hmm. I don't like making characters that are just good. If your character is like, well, I'm rich and I'm popular and I'm funny (laughs) and, you know, all of these great things, right? If if you've got all that and you're not like secretly like awful, (laughs) right? Like, I don't care. Um, Where's the, where's the, the the darkness? Like I need to know. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there are certain players like, I mean, Chrissy and color, I've played with Chrissy a bunch of times and she consistently makes characters that like have this just other bit right yes it's like oh my character is really friendly and sweet and flirtatious and also they might stab you sometimes yes or oh yeah i made this character that's like really like serious about being an agent we're in delta green you know i i, I believe in i, I want to believe Mulder style and also i smoke tons of weed and i am not reliable <laughs> at all yeah i like balance in my character so that's usually what i do i like knowing what other people are up to at the table. Like it's really helpful to me. I'm a person who enjoys filling in blanks. Same. It's wonderful to play something that you would have never chosen yourself. It's also wonderful to choose. When I'm in the zone and I have a flaw, it's something that I know I can play up. It's something that I know I can rope into this character. I don't ever just say 100% this is who I am there's no room to move it around because you don't know how it's going to be a game, right? If somebody else ends up being a little bit of a surly character or you're playing with someone who might be a little bit more new or who has a harder time sticking to the character that they're making, you have to be able to pivot to change kind of like Mm -hmm. how you interact with them at the table. I recently played a character named King Evil uh, in a wrestling (laughs) game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. ridiculous. That's a game that's meta, right? You have an actor that I am playing an actor who plays a wrestler in the ring. Yes. So I had to come up with two personas. Yes. Because I was like, well, she can be the same in the ring as out of the ring, but that's boring. Like, who wants that, right? Like, (laughs) you want extremes, right? Wrestling is supposed to be big and bold and crazy. So she's this person that just, like, doesn't give a fuck, right? Like, outside the (laughs) table, she's just like, I'm here. I'm doing my job. Leave me alone. But when she's in the ring, she's bombastic and outspoken and like a loud mouth and skips around and teases people and, you know, is a great heel, right? And is horrible. The struggle that I had playing that character was like, well, I don't want to make them unlikable outside of the ring because they're so unlikable in the ring as their job. Yeah. I had to kind of flip what I normally do. Normally, it's like I'm a character and they have a bad side. But here it's like my character's bad side is who they are in the ring and yeah. then they are mm-hmm. neutral when they're outside the ring. So I still had a platform to climb up. 
I was still able to be like, you know, Piper's character and I had a love story. So I was able to kind of still get that growth without my character having to have like a super awful secret. She was right. just very neutral about everything all the time. Yeah. She was just like, mm, <laughs> give me my money. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like not here to make friends. Yep. It gives you a lot to work with when you're thinking about how your character would handle something. And to me, that's the most fun part. The GM presents you with a problem. Yeah. You can solve it in the way that you know you can solve it. But if you're playing a stupid character, she doesn't know how to solve it. Right. She's chewing gum. Or an uninterested (laughs) character or a whatever or yeah, 100%. She's just like, "Mm, what if I like put lipstick on this werewolf? Would that make it go away? (laughs) Right? Like you get that comedy part. And if I get my face sliced off by this werewolf, I mean, that's that is what would happen to my stupid character (laughs) because they try to put werewolf on lipstick on this werewolf. I love the fuck around and find out aspect of TTRPGs. I don't usually come in with goals. I think that's the thing that I prepare the least. I'd never come in like at the end of my story, this is where my character's yeah. going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't do any of that. I see what happens. And then I usually it's like two to three episodes in. I'll know yeah. where they're going to go. Outbreak, I had no idea because I was like <laughs> definitely going to die in every episode. I was gonna, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> you see, you, it's moment by moment. It's survival. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I think for that, that was definitely one of the biggest challenges. The end of that first session when I didn't die, I was like, well, now what? Fuck. Oh, you're going to die horribly. And then the next episode, I almost died. And I was like, oh, God, you're going to die horribly. <laughs> <laughs> so like every episode, I was just like, here it is. It's the big one. Yep. And that's what I'm saying about being leaving yourself open to change. Looking at Dewey as a character, Dewey is a crotchety, grouchy, 30-something-year-old <laughs> librarian who likes nerdy stuff and keeping to themselves, right? They're not super friendly. They're not mean. They're just kind of like, I'm doing my job. And they don't like children because children are loud and they leave sticky fingerprints all over their <laughs> books, right? Like, kids are fucking gross and they're terrible. <laughs> and, like, the show starts and I'm, like, yelling at these children, hey, shut the fuck up. Stop looking at that porn, right? Like, being terrible to these teenagers. And by the end of it, I'm like, did the teens make it yeah. out? <laughs> are they okay? Yep. Right? Like, <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Like, I did not expect that Dewey was going to be, like, this dad. Uh, that, didn't, <laughs> that was not something I saw, that mm-hmm. Dewey would be, like, a parental figure. But I tried to stay open to it when the opportunity presented itself, which honestly just made for deeper story. And I think allowing your character to change with what's put in front of them is something that just deepens your gameplay so much. It's wonderful. Yeah. Your entry into making publicly consumable art mm-hmm. via TTRPG is 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 different than a lot of people's in that you yeah. kind of you played for a long time and then you just got invited to a a very big thing um <laughs> in a cool fucking way what's your perception and relationship to being a publicly creating individual across not just streams but of things you write of things you do sensitivity readings for all that kind of stuff self-expression really is the answer to that question um when i'm sitting at a table with my friends like my home game and stuff mm-hmm. when you're around people who are not being prof- who are not doing it professionally they're just doing it to fuck off and have fun there's an ease and a laxness to that and again in the early days before i was online i would go as hard as i wanted because my friends were like candace is weird they're extra <laughs> ha, ha, ha. right like yeah it was just like you're a lot. And I'm like, I sure am. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks um, for noticing. <laughs> yeah. um, but now that I'm now that I'm, you know, that I'm out there, the biggest part of this for me, like, it's not even really the audience. Like, I love mm-hmm. having the audience there because I like doing things that help people feel seen. Mm-hmm. That was my reason for burlesque, really. Like I said, like, I, I'm, I've always been a fuller figured person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that were doing it were skinny. And I was like, so, like, who am I supposed to look at and stand, right? Like, mm-hmm. who am I supposed to look at and be like, ooh, <laughs> that person makes me feel sexier about my body and yeah. myself. 
we don't really have that. So I'm going to be that person. Right. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people will chill with that. And like when I was dancing, all my fans were women. Like, I don't think I had a single, like there were a handful <laughs> of dudes that were like, you're cool. But like, I was single the entire time I danced. For no one was like, you need to be my girlfriend or my them friend right now. Right. Like nobody. Yeah. That wasn't it. Um, it was a lot of women that were just like, you make me feel really good about myself and I'm going to go home and I'm going to wear this thing that I wouldn't have normally worn because it looks nice on you. And if it looks nice on you, maybe I can do it. What do you think? And I, I'd have the opportunity in real time to be like, fuck yeah, put that shit on. You're going to look great. Right. Like I'd have, yep. you know, these conversations and it was wonderful because it's something that like, I mean, I still live in the same area and I bump into people all the time. Like I'll be in the grocery store and someone would be like Coco DeVille. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Amazing. Hi. Hi. Yes, it's me. <laughs> And they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm wearing a crop top today because of you. Like, it's beautiful. Like it makes wow. me feel so good. Right? Amazing. Like, yes, that's of course. So nice. That's how I feel in TTRPGs. Like, especially because, you know, for a long time, it wasn't a very diverse, you know, mm-hmm. industry. We are in a little bit of a nucleus, but I think like outside of us, it's still not super diverse, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody is chill with the changes that have happened in this industry. And that will continue to happen. <laughs> it's not even necessarily like the audience specifically, but the fact that like I can tell a story that will resound with someone else, right? That'll resonate mm. with somebody else, that somebody else will go, oh man, yeah, that's it, right? Or, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Or, oh, oh that, ex- that inspired me. Or, hey, I've been feeling like this for years and you've shown me a way that I can yeah. feel differently about this thing. And then on a personal level, again, like my home table, very supportive, understanding of who I am, embraces me. Yeah. But it's different to be out in the world being your weird ass self (laughs) and having people be like, your weird is like my weird and I'd love to be your friend. Yes. There's a lot of parasocial shit that happens in this community because of that, right? Because a lot of us are just, you know, broken toys that had (laughs) a really bad experience being weird little nerd kids. And now we're weird little nerd adults and we're like, someone love me, (laughs) please. Yep. We're like, I love you. You're great. You're so extra. And I think it's the best. I could listen to you chatter on all day. Oh, thanks, buddy. Or you know what? The other day you had to push pause in the middle of our session because you have ADHD and you were not paying attention because your dog was looking at you funny. And now (laughs) we need to repeat what was just said. And I'm really glad you said that because I too was not paying attention. (laughs) So thank you so much for asking that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. Right? Like that kind of stuff. Someone's weird is a similar kind of weird or is a weird that vibes with your weird. Yep. It makes you feel a lot less self-conscious, I think. It's a double-edged sword. The more you're out there, the more people have the opportunity to cut you down, right? It hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for me. I've had issues. There have been some not great experiences that I've had in this industry, like any. Yep. But it's one of those things where, like, a lot of other things in my life have been very easy to kind of leave behind. I'm a person that, like, really loves learning and loves, like, trying new things. So if there's something that I think I might be good at, ukulele. Yep. I was never good at stringed instruments. I had a big complex around them. I saw a $35 ukulele on Groupon that was trash. <laughs> and I was like, in that, ooh, Groupon is cool thing where you spent like $150 on Groupons you never use. One of them I did use. It immediately also dating <laughs> period of time in which this experience Correct. happened was like, ah, oh, yes, right around like 2001 to 14 or something like that. That's yeah. it. Somewhere in that swath of time, I was like, mm-hmm. Groupon, yes. Um, and I spent all of my money. <laughs> so I bought this really trash toy ukulele that I thought was going to be serious, which like, what kind of person thinks you're getting a real ukulele for $30? I don't know. I, I, I um, mean, <laughs> look, again, Candace, I'd really appreciate if you stopped calling me out specifically and personally <laughs> in your own answers. Thank you very much. I, I would appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So like, I tried that for a while and then like eventually like, I had a Christmas gift 
I got like a better ukulele that was like a medium one. And I was like, I'm going to learn this. And then during the pandemic, I had tons of time. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the pandemic, honestly, was like, I, it's horrible to say this, but like it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah. Being able to stay inside. I learned how to make gyoza. I learned how to make soup dumplings. I learned how to play ukulele. I did a weekly oh show called Five Song Fridays. That came before TTRPGs. That oh, was yeah. probably my first public performance of art other than like the burlesque thing. My first online performance of art was five song Fridays. I had a weekly show every Friday. It started with five songs until I got like better at ukulele and realized I could actually like do this for real. And then it was like seven songs or 12 songs or however many I felt I would make a set list, a themed set list every week. My partner is a designer and an illustrator and a litany of other things, a toy designer. He's amazing. Wow. Yeah. He, he does a lot of really beautiful design. He's actually worked for some people in the TTRPG community, too. I won't say too much about it because I don't know what's been revealed or what's not. But um, <laughs> Keeping it mysterious. Totally yeah, understand. <laughs> you know, you can find him at Domo Jason on Twitter if you want work done. Um, but basically, uh, he used to uh, set me up for Facebook Live. So we would do like a little like long frame because like everything is vertical for Facebook Live. Yeah. Uh, so he would design me a background right? Do a backdrop and stuff. And we would have different themes. So I did like a one woman, one person show. For those of you out there, I identify as a non-binary woman. So interchangeable for me. But um, I did a one person show of, well, one and a half person show of the Rocky <laughs> Horror Picture Show. I played all of the characters except for Brad. And I played everything on my ukulele. I did a back to school set that was horrible because Chadwick Boseman passed away that day. So oh, I was like, oh. I was doing this whole funny school of rock <laughs> Dewey thing. And then it was like, Chadwick Boseman is dead. And I'm like, Black Panther, no. And then like everybody <laughs> on the call was like, well, what do we do now? And I was like, uh, I guess, I don't know. Like, I feel like I should go. And they're like, please don't leave us. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then like we had a really sad episode where like we just cried together and people were talking in the chat because like no one could go to live music anymore. Yeah. So I was like, yep. I can do live music. It's not going to be very good, but yeah. I can talk and be entertaining for you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> People were coming dance. to my concerts. It was great. I was getting like 300 views. It was nice. Like it was wow. really good for a while. Like people were going. It was awesome. I see people I didn't haven't met or talked to since I was in like fifth grade. Like it was wild. It was really, really fun. And I got to dress up. So that's always a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> always an added bonus. <laughs> Are you someone who takes compliments or success as well like when you have those sorts of moments or when someone recognizes you in a grocery store be like this crop top all you baby is that something that you can sit with and can take in and or can you do it easily if you do that is a mixed bag yeah well <laughs> yep it depends i think i think the further away i am from something the easier it is for me to mm. understand it so like i haven't danced burlesque really since 2012 it's been a long time yeah. for me so when someone's like oh my gosh that was so amazing all those years ago i'm like oh thank you so much yes coco deville was wonderful <laughs> right like i yes. can be very like eh, of course but now like if someone comes up to me and is like hey so god playing was amazing i'm like oh <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, get yeah. very like mm, you're amazing. About it. <laughs> actually, let's talk about you instead. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think too. It takes me a long time to believe in myself as well. Like obviously, you know, there has to be enough of a belief for you to put your shit out there. Sure. Because like being an artist, being a creator of any kind, there's a certain amount of belief you must have in yourself just to get yourself to put things on the internet. I'm struggling with TikTok right now <sighs> because I'm like, I'll have a thought and I'll be like. <laughs> That's stupid. You should put it on TikTok. And then I'm like, no one's going to like that. Yeah. You're just going to embarrass yourself. 
But like Lily Singh is on the Muppet Mayhem show and she was on TikTok doing dumb shit. So I'm like, <laughs> maybe you should just go do some stupid stuff. And I would imagine complicating it further is that you you are your own TTRPG presence. You you know, like for me, I have a podcast. You know, I can be like, ah, hi, I'm Nathan from the Reckless Attack podcast. And we also do weekly interview shows and blah, blah, blah. Oh, you have a little shield. You're right. Yeah, we yeah. have a thing. <laughs> And I, while I'm certainly promoting myself being on streams and blah, 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 I at least have like kind of there is that shield. There is that kind of organizational like credentialing, I guess, behind it. So mm-hmm. being hello, it is just me, Candace. <laughs> Can I interest you in a heaping helping of Candace? Yeah. No. Mm, bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is I would imagine even kind of more difficult or at least more vulnerable and more higher stakes. The stakes are very high. I am okay at taking compliments. Okay to good, I'd say, at taking compliments and being like, all right, cool. I understand. You think I'm great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, it makes my partner, my nesting partner crazy. He gets very like, you know you're good. Why does it take <laughs> other people saying you're good for you to think you're good? I said you were good. I already said it was good. I listened to the song. It was awesome. I'm like, I understand, but you love me. Yeah. So your opinion automatically counts 75% less. Yeah. You're practically contractually obligated to say it. You know, I get it. I'm very charming. I could be in a burlap sack, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be in a burlap sack. They'd be like, hottest person I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I'm like, clearly that's not the case. Okay. <laughs> like, no, stop. Right. Like, yeah. so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm semi good at, at taking the compliment and being like, thank you so much. And you know, I work really hard and whatever. Like that's kind of what helps protect myself when people compliment me is just like reminding myself by telling the person I worked really hard on this costume. Thank you. Right. You're recognizing my work. It's less yeah. like, Oh, you're so pretty. And more like, I see the time you've taken to do this. And that's awesome that you have this skill and this talent. And I think back to like how I got the skill and talent and the fact that it was really ugly back then, but now is really beautiful because yeah. I'm no longer struggling. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. thanks buddy. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are the compliments that I can take the easiest, but it is very vulnerable because there's a lot of self doubt that kind of like hangs out. Totally. If you're part of a crew, you always have like a home to go back to, right? Yeah. Like you don't have anything to lose. Yep. And when I got into this community, it was with Valor Studios. I've been with them this whole time. They are very open and honest. They listened to me. There were some concerns that I've had, you know, throughout our tenure together. And like, I've never felt unheard. So I've continued to work with them because they're just great people, right? The showrunner, Tony, is awesome. Like all the people, the cast, they're lovely. Um, so I, I have a wonderful time rolling with them. I was in a situation for a while where I was making content with someone um, and that ended up having to end. It wasn't a very good conducive relationship for me and I kind of had to take a step back. So I gave up any sense of like surety. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was kind of taken. That's part of the reason that the separation occurred because like I stopped feeling like this was something that was like, you know what I mean? Where you're like, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm grounded here. I stopped feeling that. And I tried talking about it. It didn't work out. But like. Once I decided to just kind of go out and be on my own, I think the thing that happened last for me was I did uh, the Rainbow Roll Pride event mm, last mm-hmm. last Pride last year. I had to kind of like make connections to do this event because I had four tables and I I really wanted it to be a really big and beautiful and diverse event, right? Yeah. And I had a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of white people in the industry, no problem with that. 
but I had pretty much only white people that talked to me about this event. And I was like, I would like really much, very much to not be the only diverse person yeah. uh, in this community. So yep, I had please. to kind of go out and ask people like, hello, fellow person of color, would you like to come on my show for a while? And like, I found myself making more and more connections and being able to talk about the things that were important to me and ideologies. Like yeah. Connie Chung was one of the, you know, one of my GMs, right? And they're fucking ridiculously famous rightly so for god killer and transplanter right like the work they and see and all the people on that team do is like obviously just a labor of love and it's beautiful and it's lovely to see i see all these people and i've made these connections now because people have been like oh you seem cool do you want to come and do this thing and then i meet their friends and then one of them is like hey you vibe with me you want to come do this thing and i'm like yeah "Yeah, let's do it right like Uh i have no problem with that i'm not doing anything (laughs) i'm with 12-sided stories right i can say i'm candace from 12-sided stories we work we have a podcast it's called bookhound bounty hunters it's awesome (laughs) it's lovely to be able to have like this home base but it's also really nice to be able to kind of go out and discover and meet new people because you just like never know who you're gonna vibe with you know what i mean i and again it's a risk yeah it's very much a risk kind of being this semi-solo creative because sometimes there are bad actors in the space. There are people who just want to take your ideas and not give you credit. There are people yep. who, you know, have varying degrees of what it means to share. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everybody's a little bit different. But I think that like the lessons that I have learned and the people that I've met that I know have my back, right? Like I've made some very real friendships that are very important, real relationships that are important and found like just wonderful homes with individuals as well as their communities. And yeah. like that's very powerful yeah. to me. Like I love the power of connection. It's something that is honestly worth that trade-off. Like it's mm-hmm. worth the risk of kind of just going out there, branching out and, you know, trying to find, you know, something good in each space that I go to. Like I don't think I start out any with any new channel in a negative way. I'm always kind of open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I think like part of the reason you also see me everywhere is because like <laughs> as a person of color, people are always looking for diversity. They need people who are going to, you know, be warm to the idea of being potentially the only person of color at the table. I occupied a lot of those spaces growing up. Like the place where I'm from in Pennsylvania is like 1%. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone is white there. Yeah. But there's a cornfield behind my high school. Like it's, you know, very small town Pennsylvania. Into the picture. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. So I'm kind of used to that, right? I was always the only black kid in my Girl Scout troop. The only black kid in the play, right? Like it was, it was kind of just always. So I, I have a lot more grace for that. Some people have approached me and I've been able to, you know, feel really comfortable with them and make their community a little bit brighter, right? And a little bit more diverse, bring new people in and have a good experience. Some of them, not so great experiences. And I was like, this is the last game we'll be playing. Thank you so much. Bye. The willingness to want to kind of open up is something that really does reward you if you allow yourself to be rewarded. There are some times when I'm just like, I'm not taking any new opportunities from people I don't know. And I just go in my little hermit crab shell and I only answer the door if I recognize your face. Yep. And, and, have, and you've been here before and you've proven a certain yes. threshold yes. of accountability, acceptability, etc. Yeah. You have signed the guest book. I am currently in that hermit crab hole. So mm-hmm. no, I very much understand. Yeah. Because it could be scary out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, yeah. Yes. Even <laughs> even well-intended people yes. can present bad experiences that I just not are good, are not fun <laughs> to do. Yes. Being the person who's like, yes, I will be the only person of color or the only queer person on this show or mm-hmm. uh, one of the f- very small handfuls. First of all, that is, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to like take on as a person and to do it regularly. 
being used to it is a different thing than being willing to do it over and over. Yes. Because being used <laughs> to it, I would imagine, is something shared by a lot of people in the TTRPG space. What about that is either attractive and or tolerable to you? What drives kind of that attitude and that willingness to do an unfair amount of work, <laughs> essentially, yeah. of, of taking on that extra burden beyond just being a performer and self-promoter and having to do all the things that goes into independent <laughs> content creation? Well, first of all, thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> uh, it's not something that people do recognize all the time. I think for me, the way I grew up is definitely a big part of it. I was responsible for a lot of education growing up. Like, yeah. I remember one time I was sent to the principal's office when I was in like fifth grade because I didn't know what Kwanzaa was because my family doesn't celebrate Kwanzaa. And they did not believe my family didn't celebrate Kwanzaa because obviously you are black and you must know what that is. And I was like, no. Did you get sent to the principal's office? Yes. They were like, this this young person has uh, some cognitive dissonance with who they are and they don't realize it and they need help being, you know, who they are. It's like that New Girl Yaza. episode. If you've seen the New Girl, um, oh, yes. where Schmidt is like, be your blackest self. Yeah. No matter what episode <laughs> you're about to say, yes, I've seen that New Girl episode multiple yes. times. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that show so much. Um, mm. So uh, there's an episode where Schmidt's like, Winston, I want you to be your blackest self. And Winston's like, <laughs> What does that mean? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of like that. There were times that I had no problem. Like I remember there was a time I think I was in like junior year or something and it was Black History Month and nobody had celebrated Black History Month and I was frustrated. So I my mom and I like put together these like informational posters that I got principal permission to hang throughout my school that would tell people Damn. cool facts wow. about black people right and i put them like <laughs> in places people could see it like it's black history month homie because it's important right like people need to understand where we're coming from and I think right now there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of, I shouldn't feel guilty for what people did hundreds of years ago. And it's like, uh, for sure, like whatever, right? But you should understand that there are lasting ramifications for those things, right? Like if you ask a Jewish person, what are the lasting ramifications that you and your family have after the Holocaust? There's a long list. There's a lot of things. There's things that are obvious, right? Like things were stolen from us that we still don't have back. There are some invisible things. My grandfather had PTSD and yeah. it changed everything about him. Yep. When you deal with something like that, that's generational trauma. And I think that a lot of people, especially people who have grown up in, in, in more diverse communities, there's a certain amount of understanding. Like when I moved to South Florida, it was very like quietly segregated. Like the school yeah. I came from, I hung out with everybody because I'm the black kid and I hang out with everybody, right? They're like 20 <laughs> black kids in a school of 3000 children. Um, so like, you know, like I knew all of the black kids and we weren't all friends, but we'd be like, what's up? In the hallway, because like, you've got to recognize, right? So like, I was doing emotional labor all the time. I've kind of yeah. always been doing that emotional labor. And it's not easy. Yeah, It's very easy to lose your patience, because sometimes people are very willfully ignorant about stuff, which is very hard, because you're already kind of extending yourself. The least you could do is just hear me out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that the reason that I am okay with doing that work now is because I respect that not everyone can. There are people whose racial trauma runs much deeper. I have certain privileges as a black person, right? I'm light skinned for a long time, had straight hair, right? So it wasn't completely obvious. People thought I was mixed race, which like automatically makes you more palatable to certain people um, in a really disgusting way. There's, you know, a lot to who I am, the way I sound, the way I talk, right? Something I've noticed in the TTRPG community, there's like an understanding of what is authentic and what is not, right? I do VO as well. I'm a voice actor. When I'm auditioning for a part for a black person, if it's a white person that's casting it, I might not sound the way they think a black person should sound. I don't get the job, right? Even yeah. though I'm black and it would be authentic to cast me, they have in their mind a very different sound yeah. to a black person, right? And it's not just black people. 
I have Indian friends. This has happened to Swana friends, Asian friends, right? People want what they expect from you rather than what you are and taking yeah. what you are and, and being happy about it. So there are people out there who've experienced racism to a very different degree. My mom is a dark-skinned woman. Her going out, especially as a tomboy, very close cropped hair, very short hair, muscular build. My mom going out uh, into, into the world, into the public. People used to think my brothers, who were half Italian and half black, weren't her kids, and she was the nanny, right? Like, I've seen all kinds of terrible things kind of happen to people that have worn them down over time. Yeah. If I can prevent my mom from having to do more emotional labor, I will do that, right? If I can prevent someone who is just getting, like, this onslaught, like, for example, during the OGL thing, when people are really upset about the influencers who were invited and stuff, right? There were some, some things that people didn't understand about why these influencers were excited to be invited, right? They were excited to be invited because it sounded like yeah. we know that it was a different thing yeah. but it sounded like <laughs> this, this these people wanted their real opinions yes. about their product which like i've never been a DD person because i've always seen these problems and i'm like mm, i don't think i need that in my life yeah. um so i learned how to play DD. i will never run it i don't think but like i've learned it because other people play it and it's fun to play with other people that i like um and i kind of just ruin it and make it whatever i want um <laughs> so the joys of playing tabletop role playing games is all. ruining them 100% yeah, just be a little sneaky um <laughs> so i think like that's a big reason why i'm okay with it because i recognize that there are certain privileges that i have in this world that give me that longevity to be able to have that patience and what's been really great about ttrpgs for me, is that in the process of having to deal with things that are not cool, in the process of having to, in my last situation I was discussing that wasn't great, explain to someone why it matters that I helped improve their channel by hundreds and hundreds of viewers, right? The reason it matters that like I'm there and so other people that are people of color now feel comfortable coming to your table because I'm here. Yeah. So that's partially my reputation that's being staked here. Yeah. I'm telling these people of color or these queer people or these trans people, hey, I'm queer and I'm trans and I am, you know, a person of color and I'm safe here. You can come here and also be safe. And then if they're not safe, that's on me too. Right. That's not just on that one person. Like, yes, it's accountability that has to be taken. So I think like for me, the reason that I'm always kind of open to do it is because I don't want someone else to have to labor in a way that they're not prepared for, or that they're too exhausted to do. And something that I've found are some really beautiful allies in this community that have been able to just say my piece without me having to fucking open my mouth. And to me, that's like the strongest and best form of allyship. When someone wants to learn about experiences that are outside of what they, of what they deal with, right? Whether that's neurodivergency, being chronically ill, being disabled, being a person of color, being trans, right? When you want to know about someone who is different than you, who has different experiences, you want to educate yourself, not just so that you're not ignorant anymore, but also so that you can make sure that when that person is depleted, you can pick up that torch and people are still getting the information that they need to hear. In some cases, nobody wants to hear from me, right? Sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll enter the fray. There's a bunch of grognards arguing about the state of things. And I'm like, listen, it's real, right? Nobody invited me to my table until someone who, by all in, for all intents and purposes, is a lot like you. Carl is, you know, 50. He's a white guy. He's been playing TTRPGs for like 40 years. Yep. He's just like you. He goes to his local gaming shop. But he saw in me something that would be great at this table. Yeah. He saw in me an opportunity for me to do something that was exciting and new and fantastic and lovely. I ran with it. And that's a <laughs> and success story, right? <laughs> I am here because yes. a middle-aged white dude went, I bet you're good at TTRPGs mm -hmm. and invited me to his table. That's awesome. That's a success story. All of these dudes, their arguments are completely laid bare by my one experience yeah and the answer is always well maybe you just weren't that fun to play with yeah <laughs> well you know maybe you're not that fun maybe you're really serious maybe you're just not good 
like all these reasons that to find fault with me. And in those moments, I'm just like, bah, whatever. And then like, <laughs> I'll have like someone come in. Kay will be like, you listen here, sir. Right. And I'm like, thanks, Kay. Right. Like, Appreciate I don't have it. to say it. I don't yeah, have yeah. to talk about it. Right. Because like my flame has been extinguished for a moment. I need to relight it. And it's going to take some time because I'm very upset. So if someone can come in here and do this for me, that'd be great. Yeah. Even without having those allies, because it's not been consistent that I've had allies like that. Some people have been fine just not kind of knowing and being like, mm, shrug. It's not always been consistent, but in my experience in this particular industry, it's been very consistent. That's so important to me because yeah. like, I don't always have it, right? Some, some days I'm like, I'm fucking done, right? Mm -hmm. If a Black person gets shot by a police officer, I've been held at gunpoint. That's a whole day I'm probably losing to being triggered. To feeling like, fuck, what if it's me? What if I drive alone? What if my partner can't come with me when I want to go to the grocery store? There are things that people are dealing with outside. I mean, the Adderall shortage. There's a lot of people out there that are neurodivergent that are like losing, like literally losing their minds yeah. because they can't get the medicine that they need to live a normal life. That is not something that like I don't take medicine like that. You know, I smoke a little bit of weed. But like, I don't take medicine like that. I don't know what it's like to not be able to have access to something that literally changes and saves my life. Same thing with hormones, right? People who are medically transitioning. I talk to my friends about that and I see what I can do to help them because they need what they need and I want them to have it. It's going to make them feel better, which is going to make everything better. That willingness to kind of go out on the limb and try to understand people is like one of the things that I absolutely love about storytelling to begin with, mm -hmm. you're imparting who you are and what you believe in and what you think and how you see the world so that other people can understand you better. It's really nice to recognize when people really want to be in your corner and want to help you do that work because it's so much easier when you don't have to do it by yourself. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to move on to the next question without particularly noting that that, that is a very wonderful and powerful sentiment being willing to take on the work as you are able and also hoping that other people maybe are able to, to do so. Yeah. Thank you for doing so and for speaking so wonderfully and eloquently about it. Of course. That brings up the sensitivity reading work stuff that you've done, mm -hmm. where again, now, now you're getting, as is the ideal outcome, getting paid to, <laughs> to do this emotional labor and, yes. and improve things and educate people in a way that compensates you uh, with, with actual monetary things and not yes. just uh, <laughs> knowing that you've done a good service. I think a lot of people, especially at our kind of level um, in, in, in those who are newer, are still very new to the idea of having a sensitivity reader. Mm -hmm. Even if they know the concept, they are very small and they're like, uh, we're doing the best we can and mm -hmm. we can't afford to do it or don't think they can afford someone to do it or just are so unfamiliar with it as a concept that even those who are open to it and recognize, yes, this is valuable. I would like to do it. I don't have a goddamn clue right, <laughs> what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah. For you, what what is that process? What are your goals? And and kind of what's that relationship look like as you're as you're working on that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, it really comes down to trying to read the material and find just check the balance of what's being presented. Yeah. Just to start off to say, I think it's important to get sensitivity readers, uh, multiple of them. I've talked to people um, and about their processes and things. You just recently had uh, Alex and Asa mm -hmm. on your show, right? And they have multiple sensitivity readers. So if they hire somebody who's a person of color, they still have someone else look at it so that they've got like kind of a double, yes. which is awesome. Uh, same thing with like neurodivergence or um, disabilities, right? It's important to have somebody that experiences those things mm -hmm. so that they can give you the best reading. If you are doing a Western, 
and you want to have, you know, Bass Reeves and have black people in your story, cool. Get somebody who is black to look through it. But if you're going to have Native American people, you should get an indigenous person as well to make sure that they are represented. Because at the end of the day, right, everybody's, most people, I will not say everyone, most people have good intentions. Yes. And they want to be, they want to mix it up. They want to make sure that people are represented. They have good rep- recognition of, you know, who different people are in their game. And they want to make people feel comfortable when they play it. However, it's less about only looking at, oh, well, I want my players to feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's also about understanding that there's unconscious bias, right? There really? are hidden bits of bias that everybody has largely because of what we consume, right? Pop culture and media, things like that. Like in certain countries, like there are a lot of people who are afraid of black people because they keep getting all these like criminals on television (laughs) piped into their televisions, right? Like, oh no, they're all scary. There are certain unconscious biases that people have sometimes. And even when they have the best intentions, like I heard someone once say, oh, well, when I write my characters, I don't do a race or a gender or sexuality. I just write character A does this, character B does this. And then I just plug him in at the end. This person's black. This person's, you know, Asian. This person's white. This person's queer. This person's trans. Right. But like that completely minimizes and takes away from the actual experience that those people have being who they are. If you're going to have a character that is walking down, you know, a dark alley at night they need to feel confident. They feel like a badass. Marv from Sin City, he's not scared when he walks into (laughs) an alley by himself. If you've got like a petite black woman walking into an alley by herself, that's a very different story you're telling me. Yep. Now you can't just sell me one and mean the other. That's not how that works. You have to take into consideration what that person would actually experience and balance it with your world. I think a lot of people, they do, they try to make, you know, they, they make an attempt. Um, it's something that I'm seeing, you know, a lot, the more, the more that I read, like somebody gave me a book, a TTRPG book one time, and I started reading it. I was really excited. It was super cute. I was very thrilled, but they had like the locations of their world broken down into racial groups, right? So all of the people in the sea looked yeah. like they were AAPI and all of the people in this like Barovia type place looked like they were, you know, Eastern European. And right. And like, even that isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't love it because there are all kinds of people everywhere. You're going to go to China and see a whole bunch of different kinds of people. It's mostly Chinese people, but like there's different ways to be Chinese, right? There's not one way to be Chinese. I was already kind of like mm, about it, but yeah. then like when I read what each world was famous for, the world that's full of black people is a jungle, which like fine, but they were like recognized for like their recreational drug use. They've like come up with really cool ways to get high and they're all entertainers and they're all sports stars and they're all right. And I'm like, and then the really smart people were the blonde haired Nordic people from the North and they were all really smart and they, you know, are all about inventions. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> like all of the Asian looking people were really peaceful and didn't war and they just really laid back and oh no very zen some would say perhaps correct right and i'm looking at this and i'm like ooh, you needed a sensitivity (laughs) reader guys this is bad (laughs) things like that are what i look for another thing to look for as well is you know the again like all coming back to balance if you are going to have a black villain but all of your heroes are white and all of your good npcs are white that says something whether you want it to or not if you have a hero that's black and a bad guy that's black and everybody else is white, that's a completely different story. Now you're telling me a different narrative that incorporates that not all people are one way. When you are somebody who's like, I don't have a racist bone in my body, right? That's not who I am. You're looking at that and you're going, well, black people can be bad. Sure they can. Absolutely. But if I'm a black person, I'm reading your book. I'm like, oh, so you think I'm bad. There's really no way for me to look at it because you've set it up so that the only person that I can, that resonates with me is a bad guy. That's the only person that I look at that I go, oh, 
me in this book. Oh, I'm also bad. Um, so I think that like taking taking into account the real feelings and the real emotions and the real vibes and attitudes that somebody that is different than you has is really important, even just on a smaller scale. When I'm doing my sensitivity reading, that's largely what I'm paying attention to. Like Stranger Things, right? This most recent season. The way Lucas is treated is horrible. It's obvious that this is a white character that someone just stuck a black actor in. And we're like, now he's black. It's not that easy. You can't have Lucas like siding with these terrible white children in the 80s when he probably wouldn't have even been included <laughs> in their sports, right? And like being horrible to his old friends and like punking out all the time and blah, 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 right? Like that's not real. Like I was the only black kid and my mom was like, if you are mean to the people who accept you and you aren't nice to the people who like see you, you're basically looking a gift horse in the mouth. Like these are people who understand who you are and want to get to know you. And you, instead of getting to know them, you're like, well, I'm too popular for you. That's mm. gross. You can't be that person. I don't care how fucking popular you get. You will always be nice to these kids that were nice to you first. That's a principle that a lot of people kind of just don't get. It's been drilled into me so hard that it's very, it sticks out like a sore yeah, thumb, sure. you know? And it's, and it's funny because like, there are some people who can read things and kind of look over it and be like, that seems wrong. Ah, <laughs> that makes me feel a little uncomfortable, but it's fine. Recently, I wanted to play a Wanty in a game, but I was like, I feel a little weird about it. I did yep. my research, still felt weird. Yep. So I decided to be like snake folk. They don't have any particular way that they are. They just look like yep. this. They just are snake people. End of story. <laughs> That's it. It's weird. Like this whole pure blood thing. I'm like, as a person who's definitely got some mixed race, you know, an ancestor or two ago, my brothers are mixed race individuals. Like, I'd really rather not have any weird, creepy stuff said about them. That's gross, <laughs> right? But like, that's not everyone's experience. So that's what they put in the book because they're like, oh, well, you know, sure, you can have powers for being pure blood. That's not Nazi shit, right? Like, <laughs> so like someone sometimes <laughs> needs to look at that and go, ooh, baby. And yeah. it's not even just white people. I am a black person. If I am as a black person writing a book that has Japanese culture in it, I'm going to talk to a Japanese person and be like, word, can you look at my stuff and make sure that I'm doing the right stuff? I'm spelling things correctly. I'm using terminology correctly because like there's a lot that's lost in translation. There's all these little teeny bits and pieces. And, and honestly, I think sensitivity work is something that's so important because it can really just completely just yeah. revolutionize your, your material mm -hmm. just as like not having like an all white table of people. Right. Like if you do cool, critical role exists, but like having someone who is outside of that, who thinks outside of your kind of binary standard and can give you insight and information of how to do something differently. To me, that's invaluable. Right. Yeah. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. That makes for a more interesting game. It makes for a more interesting life. Being a sensitivity consultant, that's really what's kind of taught me that it's hard because people don't understand why they have to pay for it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. They don't understand, you know, well, I have a hundred dollars to spend. I can either upgrade the, yeah. you know, the the quality of this book, or I can pay someone to do a sensitivity thing. Yeah. Ah, my players are gonna want a nicer book. Yeah. Okay, sure. But if your book has some crazy stuff in it, no one's going to open your beautiful book. <laughs> yeah. Having, again, that balance is really important because you don't know what you don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think the word ignorant is something that people take offense to. I enjoy the word ignorant because <laughs> it's hopeful. Stupid is I'm choosing <laughs> this. I know this is wrong. I don't care. Doing it anyway. That's stupid. But if you're <laughs> ignorant, you just don't know. Yeah. If you asked me right now, Candace, what is springtime like in Osaka? I'd be like, good question. I'm ignorant to that. I do not know. <laughs> I would love to know one day when I have money. Yeah. But right now, mm -hmm. yep. okay, being ignorant is fine. It just means that you have an opportunity to learn. But 
when you're stupid, it's I'm not taking this opportunity to learn. I'm going to be sit. I'm going to sit here in my set ways and I'm not going to do anything. So that to me kind of encompasses like sensitivity. Something that I see a lot too are people who are just really sure that they're going to be good. And so they hire me as a sensitivity consultant after their product is finished and people have already read it and they're excited for it and everything's great. And then they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I would change all these things. And they're like, I already published it. And I'm like, (laughs) the fundamental bones of this need to be arranged. (laughs) And you're saying, okay, it's out. And it's, oh, it's this skeleton has already graduated college. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, mm, well, now, you know, yep. If people are mad, here's what you can say. (laughs) Here's why they're probably mad about this. Now, instead of sensitivity consulting, what I'm going to do is PR consulting, and I'm going to let you know that these are the (laughs) things that you can say to get out ahead of this. (laughs) Just say, you know what, guys? I fucked up. And that's the thing, too, that I kind of want to tack on to this with sensitivity reading and with your previous question. Taking accountability is not a bad thing. We're seeing a lot of people just avoid taking accountability for pretty much everything. There's nothing wrong with being wrong and saying, yo, I'm wrong. I fucked up. There's nothing wrong with that. I was on a stream last year for Pride. April Kit Walsh was my GM. We were playing Thirsty Sword Lesbians, her game. I was at her table. (laughs) It was my event, but I was at her table. It was a very big deal. I made an offhanded comment that like reminded me of some silly thing that had happened. There was a lady raving at me in the mall about aliens, right? And so I made this offhanded comment. Someone in the chat wrote to the showrunner, like the person who was doing production, and was like, hey, so... My partner and I are watching the show and we we think Candace is great. Like we adore them. They're great. Uh, we know that this probably wasn't intentional, but the thing that they said has roots in anti-Semitism. And I just want to let them know my partner kind of had to stop watching it. They know that they didn't mean anything by it, but they're really hurt. Yeah. They need a minute, even though they know yeah, this isn't a problem. Right. I just figured I would message. So I was like, all right. They they told me immediately, hey, this this happened. Don't worry about it, though. You can keep going. You're good. And I'm like, I'm not good. I'm fucked up right now. Uh, this is bad. It was a call that had very big people on it uh, that were all very good and fantastic and fancy. And I was terrified and I just stopped the stream and was like, hi, so I need to take accountability for this because I fucked up and I said something and I didn't realize that's what it was. I had no idea that that's where it came from. I don't want to offer any kind of excuse to you other than I didn't know. And I thank you so much for sharing your experience with me so that I could learn and grow as a person. I will never say that again. Um, I will never joke about that again. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to learn. It was humbling and it was embarrassing as fuck and it was terrible and my heart was beating and I had to like leave the call to go cry for like a good 10 minutes uh, before I came back to the call because it was awful. Reasonable. I was so thankful for that. Was it awesome? No. In the moment, it was horrible. I didn't know what to do. Now I know. And I was able to reach out to that person and be like, hey, I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings, which is like all people want sometimes, right? That's all they want. They just want you to go, oh, shit, I didn't realize that was a problem. I'm going to make sure that, A, I stop doing that. And B, I tell other people to stop doing that, too. And acknowledge I did this. Right. And and I'm sorry. I I see that you are in pain because of something I did. Yes. And I, I am sorry for that. But I also see that there is pain. Humans fuck up all the time. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think there's a lot of people who get very stuck on being wrong. And when you hire a sensitivity consultant, it's like an admission of guilt. Like, I know I did something. Mm. Try not to look at it that way if you can. Anyone who's listening to this. It is something that is going to help you in the long run. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a better writer. Because that person's going to be like, "Mm, here's the things that I found. Not going to do that next time, are you? Right? And and here's the nuance that exists. (laughs) And thinking in nuance is valuable. Oh, yeah. Always. For sure. Big time. I wish that people were less scared of hiring people to do that job and that it was more prioritized. With the Ennies, I always look to see if they have a sensitivity consultant. It's something that really charms me about a book Mm -hmm. and helps me look at it in a slightly different lens. 
there's definitely bonus points for me as a judge. If you have a sensitivity reader, if you're making something that is specifically cultural, um, if you're making something that's not cultural and you're just making it up as you go along and everything checks out, I'm fine. But if you have a sensitivity reader anyway, I'm always like, look at you when I see it. I'm always like, ah, buddy, so glad these people are getting work. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's really invaluable. And I think when people start to understand why that'll be when things start to really change. Yes. I had one final question that mm -hmm. bounces off of what you just said. The Ennies. Yes. Um, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Ennies, blah, 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 TTRPG award show for all kinds of different products and projects and written words and podcasts and streams and everything and everything. Mm -hmm. And you are a judge this year, which is sick as hell. <laughs> it's, it is so awesome. <laughs> like, it's so awesome, but it's also so intimidating. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know this much stuff got made in one year. The idea that all of this was made in one year and there's multiple years of this is just mind numbing to me. I yes. don't get it. Uh, I've got five or six full Rubbermaid containers of product and a whole drive full of PDFs, which is so cool and means I'm going to be able to make the most awesome content next year, <laughs> but also <laughs> is daunting. A lot. Also a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> and, and I know we were talking uh, before before the recording uh, and that you are in the deepest depths of, oh, yeah. of TTRPG uh, judging yeah. the pit, basically. <laughs> and you are just surrounded by yep. tabletop books. I'm sure that you have just tastefully shoved away from the webcam as we're as we're recording yes, now. They're literally all around me. <laughs> <laughs> Consuming that much TTRPG stuff. Yeah. I know I am always inspired when I watch a system get played or watch a new a new GM or table really crush and it's like, oh, Yes, I want I want to steal this and I want that. And this makes me feel a certain way. And I need to think about why I feel this way about this. Mm -hmm. What has the experience like, not just of judging and reading and, and getting all these cool free PDFs, but also of just <laughs> kind of interacting with this much material? Has it impacted you and kind of your understanding of TTRPGs, of writing, of performance, of structure, of whatever, in any any sort of way that you are able to look at now, even as you're in, again, the deepest pits <laughs> of doing so. Yeah, I'm like at the tippy top of the deep pit, too, because like, <laughs> it's choose your faves time. And then after choose your faves time, it's battle of the end of all yeah. TTRPGs for 2023. <laughs> Everybody else has also made a list. There are five judges, including mm -hmm. myself. So then you've got all these judges to fight and be like, no, no, this is why <laughs> this is the best to get to the final list. And then all of y'all get to vote on whatever it is that has risen to the top in yeah. that battle of, uh, of intensity. But <laughs> I think the thing that has impressed upon me the most is there is no wrong way to TTRPG, my friends. There is no <laughs> yeah. wrong way to enjoy yourself with this hobby. I have never seen such a diverse and varied group of things like some of the stuff that i get i'm just like what the fuck is this like who who decided who was yeah. you know what i need i need to take a band and i need to make a ttrpg about all of their music right like who who yep. who does this right who's like there's a very specific feeling i had when i was eight and i was in my parents living room it was christmas morning <laughs> and i'm gonna make a ttrpg about that amazing yeah circling back to taking compliments i know so many cool people it's honestly disgusting. Like I'm getting like all kinds of submissions from people that like I chat with every day. Right. right. And I'm like, yes. oh, look at you. I know that Yay. name. Yay. Right. It's never hard for me to judge honestly. 
Um, I always disclose, hey, I know this person. Hey, the, this name in this book. Yeah, well, I was in this actual yeah. play with them. <laughs> I, I try to give full disclosure. I'm I'm like one of the first, if not the first, TTRPG actual play performer that's been a judge. So like, I think I've asked the most questions out of any judge they've ever had about, <laughs> hey, is this okay? Hey, buddy, checking in. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm doing You're this. Right. <laughs> so it's been it's been a very interesting process from that perspective. It's been very humbling to recognize the privilege of being in America as well, being an American creator, American perspective. Totally. Because I'm getting things from all over the world. Like I got a package from Germany. I got packages from like the Middle East. I got a package from, you know, South America, right? Mexico. Like I'm getting packages from all over the world, literally um, sent to my house with these really interesting takes on TTRPGs and seeing the trends, the trends that have fallen out of previous years of Annie's judgeship and TTRPG excitement, things that were really popular last year, you're seeing lots of ripple effects for this year. Yeah. Maybe even in the last two years, you're seeing a lot of like, you know, not duplicates or anything like that, but just things that are like a trend. And it's been really nice to see. It's huge. I have over 800 applications, (laughs) over 800 (laughs) nominations to go through. Um, Some of them are audio, you know, podcast AP stuff. Some of them are ebook, right? Some of them are nonfiction book. Some of them are PDF only, digital only release. Some of them are actual physical box sets that like weigh a million pounds. And my neighbors (laughs) are like, what the fuck are you getting to your house? Why is this box so big? Did you get a new table or something? Yeah, like what is going on? There's no wrong way to TTRPG. And like, I love that there's also an element of you're not just getting books, you're not just getting adventures, right? You're also getting accessories, you're getting minis, you're getting, you know, supplies, like things that you need for this industry. Yeah. And have made me think, oh, I didn't even realize that I could, that I needed this. Now yes. that I have this thing, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, thank God <laughs> I wouldn't have even asked for this. I wouldn't have known to buy this for myself. It's been a very humbling experience because I'm over here like Savage Worlds is best boy and PBTA <laughs> is good too and right. D&D is fine. And then it's like, here's 14,000 other systems as well. Right. Here, here's the other 800 <laughs> submissions. <laughs> Even like pamphlets, solo, solo games. Yeah. Didn't occur to me, right? I knew that they existed. I saw Thousand Year Old Vampire in the store and I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is unusual. It's not unusual. There's tons <laughs> of them. There's so many solo TTRPGs, yeah. a whole world, a whole universe of them. Like zines, zines are really cool. Like I, I, that's not something I was up on, right? I didn't know that. So it's been just a wonderful learning experience. And there is nothing your boy loves more than just learning all the time. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love yeah. it. This has been a huge learning experience, a huge learning opportunity. And I also like learned to trust people differently too. I don't know any of the judges. I came into this completely blind. I ran last year. I didn't think I was going to get it. I was like, nobody knows me. But people knew me enough to be like, that person is going to do good stuff. And I was like, oh, guys. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, so I got the judgeship and I was like over the moon. I I could hardly believe it. The judges are very diverse. There's people of all ages. I think I'm the youngest judge, people from all backgrounds. And even though there are people from from backgrounds you'd expect, the cis straight white man, I have been endlessly and positively surprised in beautiful ways. Like I'm sitting down with a book that I'm like, these old dudes are going to love this. They're going to think this is great. And they are going to crucify me because I hate it. And it's dumb. And then I'm like, it's time to talk about this thing. And everyone's like, Candace, what do you think? And I'm like, no, I don't want to go first. And they're like, we can tell you have something to say. And then I'm like, well, here's what I saw. And then like somebody that I did not expect to understand where I'm coming from is like, I saw that too. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you guys so much. Um, (laughs) So like, it's really cool. Um, It has taught me a lot of patience. It has taught me to very much not judge a book by its cover as well. Let me tell you. Sure. Yeah. Do not judge a book by its cover. Some things are prettier than others, but their writing is just as good, if not better than things that look really flashy (laughs) and gorgeous. 
And it's also taught me that like, there's no wrong way to tell a story either. Best adventure is one of the categories for the Ennies. And that can be like in a core rule book where there's an adventure that's included in the back, or it can be, hey, we just released this new adventure for an existing system. It can be any of those things, anything that you find that's a good adventure. Being able to kind of understand what that means, because like I'm used to a lot of people homebrewing their stuff. There's tons of homebrew. Not a lot of people run modules in their live plays, right? Their actual plays. So being able to kind of see like where that comes from and the beauty, having so many differing perspectives. There are books out there that are all about accessibility. There are books out there about what it's like to be someone that you're not specifically, intrinsically, yeah. um, and learning about other people. There are books that are just fun and silly and ridiculous mm-hmm. that you're just going to like, <laughs> you're going to bring to the table and everyone's going to be extra and you're all going to like cry <laughs> laughing the whole time because it's so yep. ridiculous. There's just such a panoply of like beautiful work that I'm seeing and it is very hard to choose. If you are someone who has submitted to the Ennies in the past, if you're submitting this year, if you're going to, if you're considering submitting next year, know that this project is taken so seriously. Nobody takes the job lightly. Everybody is right there and they're like, yo, this is serious. Somebody made this with their own fucking hands. Somebody put time and work and tears and blood and effort into this and money into this. They deserve us reading at least 15 pages. That's usually my cap. If it's a book, (laughs) I sit down, I open it up. If it's a pamphlet, I just read the whole thing. But if it's like a book that has more than like 30 pages, I sign up for 15. I flip through. If there's something glaring that I'm just like, absolutely not, I put it to the side, right? (laughs) Right. There are very few things that are like that, but there are some things that I'm just like, this is not for me. Yep, it's not going to (laughs) work. No amount of reading is going to change the trajectory for this. And then there's some things that like, I read two or three times because I'm just like, surely I'm missing something. It's like, there's a layout issue. There are some things that I just pour over because the art is just brilliant. And like, I have to go back and reread it later because like I was not paying attention at all to the words. <laughs> uh-huh. And now I have to reread because the art is so good. There's all kinds of situations that I found myself in in this judging process. And it has been such a blast. If you are someone who is considering applying uh, to be a judge for the Ennies uh, for this upcoming year, please feel free. They always need people. Um, it is an unpaid job, which can be difficult, but you're basically getting paid in awesome TTRPGs, which like, that's a win. I love books. <laughs> Ain't nothing. I need like, I mean, come on. Like, especially because like, y'all, like sometimes you get sent deluxe editions of stuff. Yeah. Like sometimes you get sent like the entire Kickstarter. They send you like the deck of cards yeah. and the fucking dice <laughs> yeah. and the map. Yep. And the, you know what I'm saying? Like you get all of the things. The mini expansion and yeah. the blah, blah, blah. And the special DM screen. Yeah. I received a CD, a musical <laughs> CD. Someone sent Hell to be yes. like, while you're playing this game, why don't you throw this bad boy on? I'm like, fuck yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> And then I go in my car and I listen to the CD and I'm like, okay. All right. All right. Feeling it. Yeah. One of the questions they ask you in your application is, do you have a support system? Ooh. That is important. You need people who are going to understand that your life is going to be over and you're going to have to do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I have kind of pivoted in my in my acceptance of TTRPG APs because I knew that this was going to start sure. coming down the pipe. So people were like, oh, do you want to do this thing? It's every Wednesday. And I'm like, I would love to. But if it's uh, a long-term yeah. commitment, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I, I would love to, but I can't. I cannot. No, no. If it's like, you know, oh, well, just tell me when you're available. Yes, I can do that. But if it's like every time at this time, because some days you wake up and your brain is just like, cannot read today. (laughs) That's not a day that I'm going to be judging because it's not fair if I know going into it that my brain is not working the way that I want it to. But if it's a day where I'm like willing to hunker down, today is going to be that day. Actually, when I get off this call, I'm going to go hunker down and I'm (laughs) going to read a bunch of stuff. On days like that, like I love pouring over it. And again, if you like TTRPGs, if you really think they're fun, if you like learning new systems, if you like seeing new points of view and methods uh, to madness and stuff, right? New uses of old rules that you're familiar with. 
but a new way to go about it. It's definitely a really great thing to think about. The restriction is if you if you get paid a substantial amount by a publisher, they don't like that kind of crossover. So that's like the one restriction that's difficult. I think for a lot of people, if they're like slightly you know involved with a publisher or something like that, especially at the major publishers. Yeah, right. Even if you can be impartial, other people will look at you and think that you cannot be impartial, which I understand. That's another thing that I've also encountered are people who are out in the community that are like, Candace, you're an NA's judge. I'm not going to submit. That's not fair. And I'm like, bold of you to think that I can't separate my personal life from my professional <laughs> oh, life. Oh, I can do it. <laughs> but I appreciate you. Watch me. And it's hard because the NA's are like, if you see something cool, if someone's doing something awesome, if there's something buzzing in the community, we want to know about it. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I'm too small. Oh, I, I can't go up against the big guys. But sometimes that's what wins, right? Sometimes that's what turns heads. Sometimes that's what's exciting. Just being nominated is a big deal because like there's so Definitely. much stuff, Definitely. right? I cannot impress upon you. If you do not get nominated, do not think that's because your product is bad. There's just 800 of them. Yep. So there's a lot mean? going like, on. Yeah. So like just because you were in the top 25 doesn't mean that you're not 26th out of 800, which is amazing. Right. And and it's a it's a cross section <laughs> of five judges. Yes. There are a lot more people in the world than five judges. Yes. Your product is not bad just because you were not selected. There's only so many slots. If you are somebody who has submitted or want to want to submit in the future, know that it's it's okay to go out on that limb. It's okay to to dream big and to like go, like shoot for the moon, shoot for the stars. Get in there. Because at the end of the day, you can tell people, I submitted this for an any, and that yeah. might be enough to make somebody convert. The Ennies is definitely designed to recognize great people in the industry, but it's also marketing. Yep. Last year, when I was voting in the Ennies, there were a bunch of things on there that I'd never heard of in my life. I was like, what is that? So I looked it up and I was like, oh, I got to buy it. It's very interesting. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It, it, I, I Googled Ennies and saw people be like, oh, you know, there's this one zine company that's like, you know, multiple, you know, submission, we submit to the Ennies every year. And I found them using the keyword Ennies and got to their site and made a purchase because it was awesome. Breaking that kind of mentality is something that I've tried to do. I've tried to, I went to PAX in, back in December and when I was walking around, I would see cool things and I'd be like, hey, you submit for an any? That's pretty great. Like, I can't make any promises, obviously. The best I could do is look at your stuff, but like, send it in. You, you know what I mean? You're great. Yeah. So I think that's really like where the line is with this job is just like understanding it's a lot of work. Like you can't shy mm -hmm. away. It is so much work and you have to do it because you're pulling with other people, right? There's like, yeah. when, we, when we have our calls, it's like seven people. You have to show up. Yeah. But if you are somebody who is diligent, somebody who likes to read, somebody who really, really loves, loves, loves TTRPGs, and you are somebody that's good at analyzing things, yeah, definitely don't hesitate to apply this year because it's really, really fun. <sighs> this is the difficult part of shows, Candace, <laughs> where... I want to ask 1,500 more questions, but should not <laughs> for, for sanity and humanity. But it's also the difficult part of interviews because I have to get tough Okay, right now, Candace. I'm ready. Because it is the time for the lightning round. Oh, God. It is infamous. <laughs> Lesser TTRPG individuals have lost a degree of sanity going through uh. it, but I have great, you know, great faith in your fortitude uh, and your ability to do so. For you and anyone new to the show, The Lightning Round, we ask the same questions to everybody we've ever had on the show in the same order. There are no right or wrong answers other than I always say, unless you like lie for some reason, I guess, mm -hmm. just because that feels lame. But it could be a one word answer. It could be a 10 minute long epic saga, whatever that is. You could pause <laughs> and say, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. And I will nod and I'll say, 
on to the next question. <laughs> Take your time. There's no pressure to answer quickly or to answer succinctly, but also there's no pressure again to have a beautiful, world-changing, perfect answer either. Mm. Candace. Yes. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. Question one. Is your glass half full or half empty? Uh, so I, uh, I'm going to be real. My glass is half empty, but my glass is not half empty mm-hmm. because it's empty. My glass is half empty because there's room for more. What excites you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? Hmm. Passion. Passion really excites me because there's so many ways that it can kind of take form in life. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? Blind tradition. I love traditions, but you gotta, you gotta be okay moving them around a little bit. What is your favorite sound? <sighs> Laughter. What sound do you hate? Mm. Hawking loogies. Mm. That one hasn't <laughs> been said yet, but is a, is, I try not to chime in in these too much, but it hasn't been said, but that is a correct answer. There yeah. are no wrong answers, but there are correct answers, and that, that, is, that is one of them. Yeah. What is your favorite word? Ah, probably lovely. I use that one all the time. What is your least favorite word? Iconic. Overused. People are like, yesterday it was so iconic. I'm like, no, it's not. Ten years ago, yes. Not yesterday. No, snob. Sorry. <laughs> There's no non-snobby way to answer what's your least favorite word. It, we all get it. You know, it's fine. We're, we're all nerds looking at each other across this webcam. We know what we're about. <laughs> What tabletop role-playing game uh, or D&D or whatever monster have mm-hmm. you not faced or run that you would love to? Mm. I've never had an experience with a mind flare and mm. people talk about it all the time. So I think that would be rad. It is. What is your favorite adventure of all time? And this can be one that you wrote when you ran, when you were in, when you watched someone play. It could be not even in the tabletop space. It could be like, man... 1999's The Mummy. Man, I hate to be basic, but I feel like it's Jurassic Park. There's so much wonder. There's so many ways to understand the adventure. It's so good. There's dinosaurs. I mean, you know, it's great. Correct. Another correct answer. (laughs) What is your favorite TTRPG character of all time? And again, it could be one of yours. It could be an NPC. It could be one you watched. It could be one in an adventure that you read. Uh, Whatever it means to you. This is one that changes. A lot. Sure. If you'd asked me this question in November, I'd had a very different answer. But right now, my favorite TTRPG character, it is one that I make, uh, is a Ready Flameheart, who you can meet on Crossroads during Witches, Sisters of Fenmore, coming out July 16th, I believe. Ooh, a, a teaser. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what gives you hope? hate to come back to sort of the beginning, but growth. Mm-hmm. Growth gives me hope. Watching people grow, watching the world grow. Right now, I feel like there are a lot of people who don't want growth, and that sucks. Growth is something, change is something that happens whether we want it to or not. We can either understand how to better guide it so that it's something that's for everyone, or we can reject it, right? Or we can just accept it. And I think that a lot of people are choosing to reject it, but it gives me a lot of hope when I see people who are interested in changing it. Well, Candace, as expected, you were indeed 
magnificent. <laughs> Thank you. You have run the Reckless Attack Lightning Round Gauntlet. Uh, we are <laughs> once more at the end of another fantastic episode. Thank you so much for all of your greatness and insight and uh, your time and energy. Uh, and as a as a reward for making it through this uh, this conversation, this this heated discussion that we have had, could you please remind everyone who you are, where to find you, all the good stuff, how to <laughs> support you yada yada with knowing that all the links are going to be in the show notes hint hint dear listeners my name is candace also known as candace the magnificent you can find me at that candace girl c-a-n-d-a-c-e over on twitter where i post a bunch of stuff even though twitter is a mixed bag uh, <laughs> and you can find me at candace the magnificent all one word on twitch where i do video game streams ukulele streams probably some lego streams um and uh pretty much everywhere else i'm at candace magnificent you can find me coming up on quite a bit of things. I've talked about a lot of the things that I do and a lot of the groups that I'm with. You can see me in a Juneteenth game with that gamer share over on her channel. Uh, you'll see me in Siren Squad over with Femme Gamer Party. You can hear me on Barely Bookish if you like the more analytical things that I've said today, uh, doing some really nice um, analyses of modern classics, including Kindred oh, and Interview with the Vampire. Hell yes. Barely Bookish is actually really great because Backwards Games Alex, he's going to be one of the guests coming Ooh. up soon. And they just did a special with Eric Silver uh, as well. Of oh. Join the Party Pod, I believe. Amazing. There's going to be a game that I'll be on next month with Homebrews and Homebodies. Uh, some more from Live from the Apocalypse and more from KDM Fear. Bad House, 12-Sided Stories, Crossroads, Valor, all of my... More stuff always. All of my babes. <laughs> all of my sweet babes, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, Candace, thank you once more for being here, for being you, all the good stuff. Um, and I will see you. I will, I will speak to you soon, dear listeners. Thank you for being here. Bye. Bye.